This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. This week, we sadly said goodbye to one of Scottish football's great talents of the 1950s and 60s, and a great entertainer on and off the field in Ian St John. I'm Andy Kerr, and I'm joined this week by Jim Orr and Lindsay Hamilton, as we pay tribute to the man known in footballing circles as the Saint. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Who is the record appearance holder for Scotland's men's team? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. It's December 1991. The draw for the quarter-finals of the English League Cup, sponsored by electronics retailer Rumbelows, is about to take place. To add some glitz and glamour to England's secondary cup competition, the draw will be shown on the extremely popular TV show Saint and Greavesy, hosted by former players Ian St John and Jimmy Greaves. However, this will be no ordinary televised cup draw. Saint and Greavesy will be flying over to New York to cover the qualifying draw for the 1994 World Cup, which is due to be played in the United States. Despite Greaves having a terrible fear of flying, St John convinces him to travel, and the pair arrange for the draw to be held in one of New York City's most famous buildings, Trump Tower. Donald Trump's secretary at the time is from England, and after chatting to the production crew, she asks if they would like to meet the boss. They quickly hatch a plan to interview New York's most infamous businessman, but instead, their producer Bob Patience suggests that the Donald gets involved with the cup draw itself. St John later said of the incident, He agreed, even though he clearly knew nothing about football. I think the appeal for Donald was being on a TV show that had a large audience in Britain. He saw it as an opportunity to promote himself and his company. In one of the building's boardrooms, the affable TV pair are joined by the future president, Donald Trump, as he helps to make the draw. Greaves draws the home teams, Trump the away teams, while St John and the FA's secretary, David Dent, keep watch over the proceedings. Greaves draws his old club Tottenham Hotspur at home to Norwich City. Trump gives Nottingham Forest or Southampton an away trip to Swindon Town or Crystal Palace before ensuring that the Minnows of Peterborough earn a home tie against Middlesbrough. The final tie, though, as decided by Greaves and Trump, is the pick of the bunch. The pair set up a War of the Roses clash as Leeds United are paired with Manchester United at Elland Road, to which Greaves exclaims, You don't realise what you've done there. Throughout the encounter, the two footballers turned pundits managed to keep a smile on their faces despite the ridiculousness of one of the world's most famous businessmen trying to appear like he knows what he's doing. While Trump appears to know little about the sport of football, his inability to say no to the cameras provides for one of the most bizarre moments in televised football history. Following the conclusion of the draw, the future president is presented with a prestigious award of a Saint and Greavesy mug that will show the words 
funny old game on its side when hot liquid is poured into it. For St John, this was just one of the many extraordinary events that would happen to him in his life. This is the story of Ian St John, the boy from Motherwell who went on to great things. Ian St John was born in Motherwell on the 7th of June 1938, one of six children in his family. Ian's father Alec was a steelworker in the town that was famous all over for its steelworks and unfortunately died when Ian was just six years old. The saint reflected on the last memories he had of his father in his autobiography. The death certificate said pleurisy and pneumonia, but they weren't the only causes of my father's death. The day before he collapsed, he took me to Fur Park to see Motherwell. We got soaked to hell. Like many people working in harsh industrial environments at the time, Alex St John ultimately had health issues because of his working conditions. These would sadly cost him his life at a young age, leaving behind a young family to survive. The St John family lived in Motherwell, on the corner of Scott Street and Park Street. In his youth, Ian would play football in the streets with his friends, and would go along to Fur Park to watch his local team Motherwell play. In addition to honing his football skills, the young Ian played cricket and excelled at boxing, but his mother Helen was not keen to up such a punishing sport like boxing and encouraged him to stick with football after coming off worse for wear in a bout in Beath, North Ayrshire. Had he swapped his boots for gloves, the present day could have been very different for a great deal of people. In order to help the family, Ian took a job at the local co-op while his mother was a cleaner. Ian played football firstly for North Motherwell AFC, a boys club run by a man called Pat McCourt, who saw Ian's potential and encouraged his abilities. Football was to end up being the Saints' passion, especially after witnessing his beloved Well lift the League Cup and Scottish Cup at Hamden in 1950 and 1952 as they beat Hibernian and Dundee respectively. The 1952 Scottish Cup win sent shockwaves around the sporting world as Dundee had plenty of internationals in their team and were a top side, while the Steelmen had been battling against relegation all season. At the age of 16, and working in Motherwell Bridgeworks as an apprentice, Ian was invited to train at Firth Park with Motherwell. Despite impressing the club's manager Bobby Ansell, he was told to change his teddy boy image, while Ian's friend and fellow trialist Eddie Boyle told the well boss where to go, after suggesting he tone his looks down a bit, Ian wisely changed his image and signed for Motherwell as a provisional player for £2 a week, around £51 in today's money. Motherwell loaned him out to the junior club Douglas Water Thistle in Vigside near Lanark, where he earned an additional 12 shillings and sixpence on top of his Motherwell wages and those from his day job at the Bridgeworks. A year in the juniors toughened the young saint up and he made his debut for Motherwell in 1957, away to Queen of the South. The club's manager at the time, Bobby Ansell, had previously been at Dunfermline Athletic and had put together a promising young team with very little money at his disposal. Motherwell let Ansell take over from previous manager, George Stevenson, and gave him the task of doing what he had done in Fife 
at Fur Park. Ansel put together a team featuring the likes of Andy Weir, Willie Hunter, Pat Quinn, Sammy Reid and Ian St John. The Ansel Babes. The Saints said of the Ansel Babes, we were terrific and probably ahead of our time in terms of the football we were playing. It was a terrific team to play in because it was so enjoyable. While the club's budget was limited, Ansel persuaded his board to install floodlights and get the club to play glamour friendlies against foreign opposition. Preston North End, the team of the mercurial Tom Finney, came to Fur Park, as did Atletico Madrid of Spain and Flamengo of Brazil. While Flamengo went 2-0 ahead early at Fur Park, the Steelmen showed what they were made of as they crushed the Brazilians 9-2. Of the nine goals scored by Motherwell, six were scored by the Saint. Ansel's team was gelling together, and while Silverware would ultimately elude them, they played some of the best football in the country. The Ansel Babes were often the subject of back-page headlines with their fast brand of attacking football that left opponents flummoxed. On one occasion in 1959, Ian scored a hat-trick against Hibernian in two and a half minutes. At that time, a record in the Scottish senior game. The Saints' good form for well earned him his first Scotland call-up in 1959, where he played in a 3-2 win over West Germany. His first goal for his country came in 1960, in a 3-2 away loss to Poland. In total, Ian would play 21 times for Scotland, scoring a total of 9 goals on international duty, including a goal in his last match for Scotland in a 2-2 draw with England at Wembley. Another memorable match with the Saint in a claret and amber shirt came on the 1st of March 1961, when Motherwell played Rangers in the Scottish Cup. Rangers had been held to a 2-2 draw in the initial tie at Fir Park, and the tie went to a replay at Ibrooks. In the replay, well went ahead through John McPhee before the Light Blues got two goals back from Ian McMillan and Davy Wilson. The Steel Men were far from finished after going behind though. The floodgates started to open after Rangers went ahead. Pat Delaney equalised before a Bobby Roberts double and a solo effort from St John stunned the 90,000 crowd as Motherwell prevailed 5-2 winners. Unfortunately for the Steelmen, their cup hopes were quashed in the quarter-finals against their Lanarkshire rivals Airdrionians, but the win at Ibrooks will forever go down as one of their finest cup performances. By the late 1950s and early 1960s, people from further afield were starting to keep tabs on Bobby Ansell's young, exciting team. One of these admirers from afar was Bill Shankly of Liverpool. Shankly had been managing Huddersfield Town in 1959 and had grown disillusioned with his board's lack of ambition. So when he was approached by Liverpool's board of directors to take over at Anfield in November 1959, he gladly accepted. Liverpool were a far cry from their successful days of the past at this point. They had been languishing in the second division for five years while their neighbours Everton 
were the top team in the city. Shankly knew he had a task on his hands to deliver success back to Anfield, and he had a plan to get them back to the top. In early 1960, Shankly signed Sammy Reid from Motherwell for £8,000, almost £189,000 in today's money. While Reid was hampered by injuries and would end up back at Falkirk later in the same year, other Scottish signings were to follow. Shankly had his eye on two Scottish players in Ian St John of Motherwell and Ron Yates of Dundee United. Motherwell's asking price for their saint was £37,500, around £854,000 in today's money, and the Anfield board were reluctant to spend what would be a record signing fee on St John as well as buying Yates. Shankly's ally, Eric Sawyer of Liverpool's Pools division, convinced the board they couldn't afford to not buy the two Scots and in the summer of 1961, St John swapped the claret and amber of Motherwell for the red of Liverpool. The money from the sale of St John allowed Motherwell to upgrade the main stand at Fir Park into the structure that is still there to this day. In his time at Motherwell, Ian scored 105 goals in 144 appearances. An excellent record. When the deal was done, Shankly travelled up to Fir Park and met his new player. He walked into the dressing room where St John was and introduced himself with the words, Hello, Bill Shankly, Liverpool Football Club. You're coming to Liverpool. The Saint was won over by his new manager's charm and revealed that he couldn't turn the man from Glen Buck down. While he had wanted to spread his wings further afield in any case, Ian had at first planned on going to Newcastle. Shankly had persuaded everyone, the player, his board and the Motherwell board, that Liverpool was where the Saint belonged. It wouldn't take too long for everyone to see why. The Copites of Liverpool were keen to see their new signings in action and the Saint wasn't going to disappoint his new public. On his debut in the Liverpool Senior Cup at Goodison Park, he bagged a hat-trick against Everton in what would ultimately prove to be a disappointing 4-3 defeat to the Toffees. It wasn't long before things were looking up for the Reds, as Ian's 22 goals in the league had helped to secure the second division championship for Liverpool. At last, the Reds were back in the big time. When Bill Shankly signed both St John and Yeats, he challenged his board to sack him if either of the Scots players were poor signings. After the first season, there was no way that was happening. In the first season back in the top flight, the Reds finished 8th as Everton were champions. However, the following season, the tables would turn as Liverpool would go on to lift the league championship, finishing ahead of Matt Busby's Manchester United in 2nd and Everton in 3rd. Ian scored 21 goals in the league in that season, his best ever return in any season with the Reds. St John had become a cop hero with the chant of St John to the tune of the Routers Let's Go being sung often. Such was the diminutive Scots popularity that when a poster from a church asked the question, what would you do if Jesus came to Liverpool, the Scouse graffiti gave the answer, 
move St John to inside right and play 4-3-3. St John also had a big influence in terms of the fabric of Liverpool FC. Quite literally in this case. Liverpool's traditional colours up until 1964 had been red shirts with white shorts and socks. Bill Shankly had an idea that the Saint would add to, as he said in his autobiography. Shankly thought the colour scheme would carry psychological impact. Red for danger, red for power. He came into the dressing room one day and threw a pair of red shorts to Ronnie Yates. Get into those shorts and let's see how you look, he said. Christ, Ronnie, you look awesome. Terrifying. You look seven feet tall. Why not go the whole hog, boss? I suggested. Why not wear red socks? Let's go out all in red. Shankly approved and an iconic kit was born. The all-red kit was first worn in a game against Anderlecht and has been unchanged since 1964. Shankly's league win in 1964 had put the Reds back at the top of English football and St John had been a vital part of that success. There was one problem though. Since their foundation in 1892, Liverpool had not won a major cup and Shanks was out to change that. Liverpool's first match in the 1964-65 FA Cup was an away tie at the Hawthorns, where West Bromwich Albion were defeated 2-1 thanks to goals from Roger Hunt and Ian St John in the third round. The fourth round almost produced an upset as Stockport County held the Reds to a one-all draw at Anfield before two goals without reply from Roger Hunt put Liverpool through in the replay. A 1-0 win against Bolton Wanderers at Burnden Park followed, and after a goalless game against Leicester City in the quarter-finals at Filbert Street, Liverpool won the replayed tie 1-0 thanks to a goal from Roger Hunt. The semi-final saw Liverpool travel to Villa Park to take on Chelsea. Bill Shankly had come across the design for a cup final brochure that was to be mass-produced if Chelsea were to make the final. He pinned it to the dressing room wall and told his players to go out and give their cocky opponents a thrashing. Two second-half goals from Peter Thompson and former Rangers man Willie Stevenson won the match 2-0 and put Liverpool into the final. The FA Cup final in 1965 saw the Reds of Liverpool take on the Whites of Leeds United. Leeds were managed by Don Revy and featured Scottish players such as Billy Bremner, Jim Storey, Willie Bell and Bobby Collins. Shankly was determined to end Liverpool's long run without any cups and put out the strongest side he could with Ian St John leading the attack. He was one of four Scottish players for Liverpool that day including goalkeeper Tommy Lawrence, defender Ron Yates and midfielder Willie Stevenson. Liverpool's manager also heaped praise on his opponents in the build-up to the game to try and unnerve Revy's players, who had lost out on the league to Manchester United by virtue of goal average. Liverpool started the game the brighter of the two teams, 
with Leeds starting to come into the game the longer the half went on. Bobby Collins and Jerry Byrne collided early in the match, leaving Byrne with a broken collarbone. In the days before substitutions, Byrne decided to continue playing and Shankly did not reveal to him how bad the injury was in case he chose to come off the park. At half-time, the game was goalless. When the teams came back out, Liverpool started the stronger of the two and had chances to score. Jack Charlton ended up hurt after colliding with a photographer off the park, but was able to carry on. Gary Sprake also hurt himself in a challenge with St John, but recovered quickly. In the end, neither side could find a breakthrough and the game went to extra time, the first final since 1947 to do so. In the first half of extra time, it didn't take too long for the deadlock to be broken. Three minutes after the start, Jerry Byrne found himself near the byline and crossed the ball perfectly for Roger Hunt to fire past Sprake into the net. Liverpool won, Leeds United nil. The red side of Wembley was starting to dream of a cup homecoming and Shankly looked like he would be the first man to bring the cup back to the red half of Merseyside. However, Don Revy's men had other ideas and in the 110th minute, Norman Hunter headed the ball perfectly in for Billy Bremner to shoot past Tommy Lawrence and equalise. Liverpool won, Leeds United won. With 10 minutes left to play, it looked as though a replay would be required to find a winner. Even Prince Philip was starting to sweat, given he was due at Windsor at 6 o'clock for polo, according to the Pathy News narrator. With time ticking away, St John was able to try his luck with a looping cross, only for the ball to bounce off the top of the net. Three minutes remained, and Leeds, despite the equaliser, were toiling. Liverpool's fitness under Shankly's training regime at Melwood was paying off, and Tommy Smith found Ian Callaghan on the far side of the pitch. Callaghan managed to make his way past the Leeds defence and cross the ball. Who was waiting in the penalty box? Only the very man you would have been wanting to find the ball with his head, Ian St John. The Saints' jackknife header beat Gary Sprake and found the back of the net to send the red half of the stadium wild. St John had won the cup for Liverpool as the game ended Liverpool 2, Leeds United 1. The party went back to Merseyside and roared on long into the night as the Reds celebrated like crazy. Shankly's men were starting to cement themselves as English footballing royalty and Ian St John was a key part of that success. The following year, Liverpool would carry on their good form and win the league back from Manchester United in the summer of 1966. St John would also compete in the Cup Winners' Cup final at Hampden Park in the summer of 1966, with Shankly's Liverpool losing 2-1 to Borussia Dortmund. As the 60s went on, and the core of Shankly's players from the early 60s started to age, St John was used more in deeper positions. His form started to fluctuate more as age took its toll, and he spent a final season in 1970-71 
and Liverpool's reserve team. After falling out with Bill Shankly, Ian St John departed Anfield, where he had scored 118 goals in 425 games. He travelled to South Africa, where he played for a brief spell with Hellenic, before signing for Coventry City, where he scored three goals in 18 league games. He capped off his playing career with a short stint at Tranmere Rovers, who were managed by his old Liverpool teammate Ron Yates, and the Saint retired in 1973. On hearing that the managerial position at his boyhood club Motherwell was vacant, he was approached by their board to become their manager. In his time in management at Firth Park, Ian gave a debut to a young Willie Pettigrew, who would go on to become a Motherwell legend in his own right. In 1974, Portsmouth lured him away to Fratton Park for a three-year spell in management in England. When the Saint was interviewed years later by Doogie White, later to become singer of the band Rainbow, he said he regretted leaving for Portsmouth when he did, and wished that he'd stayed in Lanarkshire longer. St John later revealed they just missed out on the Leeds United job, and Bill Shankly gave him the advice to go to Fratton Park. The Saint said, Shanks could sell you everything. He got me a job that was the worst job in football. After further spells in coaching at Sheffield Wednesday, Ian took up a new job in punditry with ITV Sport. Ian took to punditry like a duck to water, especially in the role of presenting. After a few years on shows such as On the Ball, he struck up a friendship and an on-air partnership with his former England adversary, Jimmy Greaves. The pair proved so popular that they were given their own Saturday lunchtime TV show, Saint and Greavesy. The two shared a warm humour that made their show a must-watch, even for people who wouldn't have considered themselves football fans. The formula was simple. St John would play the straight man with his polished style of presenting, and Greaves would hit back with his irreverent quips, with slating Scottish goalkeepers being a favourite pastime of his. The two would often banter about their rivalries as players and have friendly jabs at each other when Scotland and England would play, but it was all in good fun. The two would have several catchphrases revolving around various footballing cliches such as It's a funny old game. The pair were even parodied on the comedy show Spitting Image, and you knew you were doing something right if you were featuring on that show. Such was their popularity that if you look at the famous faces in the crowd of the show An Audience with Billy Connolly, you can see the saint in the A-list crowd. Ultimately, with changing times and the introduction of the Premier League replacing the first division in England, the show was discontinued in 1992. St John and Greaves both continued to do media work on their own, but never quite hit the heights of St and Greavesy again. The Saint lamented in years to come. Nobody at ITV ever lifted the phone or wrote a letter and said, Sorry boys, it's all over for you. Nothing. And we waited and waited. Jimmy was saying we should turn up next week in the studio. Liverpool's Radio City often featured Ian as a pundit where the former boxer was never shy and didn't pull any punches when asked of his opinions about contemporary Liverpool teams. 
Alongside this, he set up the Ian St John soccer camps which allowed many young kids around the country to be coached and have fun with football. In 2008, Ian was honoured by being inducted into the SFA Hall of Fame at Hampden Park. When Liverpool polled their fans to find 100 legends who shook the cop, Ian came 21st in 2006 and 33rd in 2013. He continued to attend Liverpool games up until at least the end of 2019 when he appeared in an advert for one of Liverpool's sponsors, Carlsberg. Ian St John passed away peacefully on the 1st of March 2021 at the age of 82. Coming from a humble steel-making town, he lived the dream as he went on to play for his boyhood heroes of Motherwell before hitting the highest of heights with Liverpool's superstars and managed to remain popular with his television work for many years after his retirement from playing. In Scotland, the name of Ian St John will always be associated with goals, warmth, humour and above all else, entertainment. At the start of this week's podcast, we asked you who is the record appearance holder for the Scotland men's team. The answer is Sir Kenny Dalglish with 102 caps. Kenny won his first cap for Scotland in November 1971 at Pataudry, where Scotland beat Belgium 1-0. In an international career that lasted 15 years, Kenny Dalglish scored a total of 30 goals for Scotland while playing with Celtic and Liverpool. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from The Guardian, Motherwell FC, Liverpool FC, STV Sport, the Scottish Football Association, BBC Sport, The Football Pink, The Glasgow Times, ITV Sport, Pathé News, The Liverpool Echo and The Saint by Ian St. John.